I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Well, I'm so glad you're here. Here we are back in ordinary time. We've made it through the Easter season. We've made it past Pentecost. Tomorrow uh, is Trinity Sunday. We're going to celebrate and and explore the mysteries of the Trinity. Then the week after that, we have uh, Corpus Christi Sunday, and my daughter's just super excited because she made her first communion this year, and she was invited uh, along with uh, the other children who made their first communion this year at the parish uh, to go with the bishop after Mass to do the the procession, the, the Eucharistic procession where we take Christ out of the church, outside the walls, uh-huh, yeah, and, uh, and walk around taking Jesus to the streets. And that's what we're talking about today, not so much the Eucharistic procession, although that's a very specific way that the church can be evangelistic. People look at us and say, what in the world is going on? And we're like, well, I'm glad you asked that. Let me tell you. Because in 1 Peter, it says, always be ready to have an answer for the hope that's within you. And what I love about that specific scripture is it presupposes people are asking questions about that hope. We're not just going up and and knocking on doors and saying, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Uh, Although some people find success with that, what we're doing is, uh, as I like to say it, we're living a questionable life right? Uh, I want you to live a questionable life. This is the way to sainthood. Uh, Because when people look at us and they don't understand and they ask their questions, that gives us the opportunity to answer, right? We're not going looking for the fight, as it were. We are living our lives. And we, by the way, Jesus says, uh, we are a peculiar people, right? Uh, He's called us to be a nation uh, of priests, a peculiar people, uh, a people called by his name. And so that peculiarity is going to raise some eyebrows and raise some questions. And when it does, we trust in the Holy Spirit, who we received at Pentecost, which we celebrated last week. We trust in the Holy Spirit to give us the words, to give us utterance, to, uh, to properly and faithfully represent Jesus Christ, uh, to faithfully represent the good news that that God had come into the world, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross, and that he made a way for us to be in relationship with God. This is the heart of evangelism, is to have hope, first of all, to be a people filled with hope, and then to have an answer for that hope. So we're going to be talking about evangelization today, Uh, even as my daughter is preparing to go in this Eucharistic procession, she's going to be right behind uh, the the, the consecrated host, the presence of Jesus and the monstrance that's being carried out into the streets. And she and the other first communicants will be following behind the bishop. Probably we'll just go around the block, but that's strange enough. You know, you expect to see certain things in a suburb uh, on a Sunday morning. And a whole bunch of people walking around the block behind a golden monstrance that's covered with a, with a canopy, all walking around the building is, is not what you expect to see on a Sunday morning. And so even that, people are like, oh, there go, there go those Catholics again. That's weird. 
So I want to encourage you. Uh, that's uh, not this Sunday. It's next Sunday. Find out where where the Eucharistic processions are going to be in your area and go and participate in one. Uh, be public in your witness to your belief in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Go do it in that way. And then be ready for the questions and be ready to have an answer for those questions. Uh, we're talking about evangelization for a couple of reasons today. One, we've got a great guest. We're, we're going to be see, speaking with Tim Glimkowski. Uh, he's the president of the La Alto Institute, La Alto Catholic Institute out of uh, the Diocese of Joliet in Illinois. You can find out information about them at laaltocatholic.com. That's L-A-L-T-O, catholic.com. Uh, and they do great work in preparing parishes for the great work of evangelism. We're going to be talking to him today specifically because uh, I've been friends with him for a while through a, a Facebook group that we're a part of that we participate in, uh, the Forming Intentional Disciples group. Um, great book by Sherry Waddell, and people who have read that book get together and we, we just chew the fat on Facebook regarding really best practices in, in the realm of evangelization. So we're going to be talking to him because... The Archdiocese of Detroit just now put out a pastoral letter called Unleash the Gospel. And you can get to that by going to unleashthegospel.com. And uh, basically, it's this really easy-to-read, beautiful letter for how to make the faith present. Uh, you know, specifically in a place like this, in a place like Detroit, that was really a very large cultural center of Catholicism for a very long time. Uh, they have really felt the uh, the nuns, uh, N-O-N-E-S, those people who have decided that they don't practice any religion, they've really felt that in a profound way because uh, when you have such a large percentage Catholic of the population and a certain percentage is now becoming nothing, none of the above— uh, that's going to hit you harder than it hits a place like uh, Tulsa, which is a missionary diocese and has a smaller percentage Catholic. And so they're trying to figure out how do we behave as the church? How do we faithfully live the gospel in this new reality where people are turning away from faith in droves? Uh, and, and so part of that means being good stewards. Part of that may mean uh, changes in institutions and the way things are done. But how do you do that? in a way that it's not disheartening? How do you do that in a way that revitalizes the church and gives them uh, strength and mission and purpose and vision and joy in the midst of that uh, to then create opportunities for conversion, not only, honestly, for the people who have left and claim no religion, but for the people who merely attend and are nominally Catholic, nominally meaning that they would call themselves Catholic, but in terms of it being something that really is the center of their identity and, and really shapes the course of their life, it's not there. And so how do you go about creating opportunities for conversion for that person, this new evangelization? Well, I think that the, the Archdiocese of Detroit and Archbishop Vigneron have done a fabulous job uh, in this pastoral letter, Unleash the Gospel, at unleashthegospel.com. And this is becoming a trend because this is not the, the first diocese to do this. 
Uh, we've also seen this in the Archdiocese of Chicago and, and a few others where they're recognizing we cannot continue to do things as if uh, nothing has changed in our society and nothing has changed in our culture. We can't go about living our faith assuming that the culture uh, is really close to where we are. We have to go about remembering that we started as a faith uh, under Roman oppression, under paganism. We started as a faith with people uh, not really on board with the message. And so we have to remember that we as a church can thrive in that situation, but it takes us being aware of our faith, being infused with our faith, living a, a hopeful and questionable life, and then being ready to answer the questions when they come. So what does that look like? Well, I want you, I'm going to put a link to this over on our social media. I want you to go read this letter. It's not too terribly long. Uh, and, and it's not in too difficult language to read. It's very simply written. And I want you to let this, let these words sink into you. Let, let this uh, understanding of the faith kind of marinate uh, and give you a different flavor than maybe you've had before. And to really grapple with what does it mean for me today to be a Catholic in this day, in this age, in this time in history. And as we come toward this break, uh, as we prepare to talk with Tim Glimkowski, president of La Alto Catholic Institute, I, I want to pray together this, this prayer that was put together by the Archdiocese of Chicago uh, for their process called Renew My Church. It's a very similar process to the Unleash the Gospel. And, and I just want us to listen to these words uh, that, that should be all of our prayer, whether we live in these archdioceses or not, whether we're experiencing the, the, the challenge in the same way that they are, we should still be wrestling with our faith in the same way. So let's pray this together. Lord Jesus, you speak to us today as you spoke to holy men and women who have gone before us. In every age and in our time, you call us and say, Renew my church. Pour out the gifts of your Holy Spirit upon us and so enable us to hear you clearly, to listen to each other attentively, to imagine our future boldly, to discern your direction wisely, to persevere in your holy will courageously, to stay together in charity, to surrender our own plans readily, and to embrace the greater good, to hand on your gifts to future generations. May we remain in the holy company of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the apostles, and all the saints. May their example and their presence inspire us with patient confidence in the work of your grace. We ask this of you who live and reign with the Father and the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. What a prayer. What an opportunity. Uh, why don't you join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. I'm going to post that pastoral letter and that prayer right there. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Tim Glimkowski about evangelization from the La Alto Institute. Don't miss it. We'll be right back right after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, here where we explore the foundations and the implications of our faith on our daily life. Today, we're looking at that in a broader sense, the implications of our faith on our daily life. We're talking today with Tim Glimkowski. He's the president of the La Alto Catholic Institute up in the uh, Diocese of Joliet, Illinois. Uh, and we're talking specifically about what this means to be a people who are missionary disciples, uh, looking a little bit at the letter that uh, that Archbishop Vigneron just now released in his archdiocese there in Detroit called Unleash the Gospel. Quite a title there. Tim, thanks for being on the show today. I appreciate you having me, Tim. It's great to be with you. So let's talk about this, this uh, Unleash My Church. It seems to be a new direction that a couple of dioceses, archdioceses, are leading the way uh, away from programming and toward lifestyle Catholicism. Talk a little bit about your impressions of this document. I mean, I was very impressed. Um, I really felt like Archbishop Vigneron was reading uh, my soul a little bit, yeah, as I just kept going deeper and deeper into the pastoral letter, um, which is really the fruit of, I think, a long process for the archdiocese of Detroit. I know they've had leadership uh, in their seminary and then in the area as well, um, and some premier kind of pastors at different churches. I'm thinking of Father John Ricardo at Our Lady of Good Counsel and others who have really been pushing this um, kind of new evangelization, person-to-person engagement evangelization mentality. You know, how do we introduce people to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And then having done that, grow them uh, through the kind of teaching them the art of living into um, disciples who are capable themselves of uh, creating disciples and of multiplying themselves um, which is kind of what that term missionary disciples means. And so, yeah, so Archbishop Vigneron, I get the impression that they, you know, up to two years ago were praying yearly, um, kind of with this prayer in all their churches before every Mass and everything for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, on the diocese, on the archdiocese. And then this last year had a synod where they really kind of called everyone together and tried to cast this consistent vision across the diocese. I think the conviction for a lot of these places, especially maybe in these cultural centers, you know, these old cultural centers of Catholicism, who are really already beginning to see the effects of the cultural shifts in demographics, um, you know, surrounding the church declines in numbers of active Catholics, and then, you know, kind of some of the complacency that we see in the ones who are still in the pews. I think they sense the, the urgency, maybe, of the mission. You know, as they're closing parishes, it's this really pronounced kind of symbol of something needs to change. What we're doing has not created the effect uh, that we could have hoped for. And so there needs to be some new intentionality to what we're doing with ministry. And Archbishop Vigneron just knocked this one out of the park uh, in the vision that he presented for doing that. You know, specifically, you mentioned they're in these cultural centers where they have hundreds of parishes, uh, larger dioceses than than what a lot of us are used to. And yet they're seeing the, their numbers dwindling as a, a, a more clear picture of what's happening all across the U.S., uh, but I think that they come to the conclusion faster maybe than some of the rest of us that programs don't fix the problem. A program may get someone interested for a little while, but eventually a program by nature has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And so people maybe attend that program, maybe participate in that program. But then at the end of the day, where do you go from a program? You have to, if we're going to create a, a lifestyle of evangelism, we have to begin a movement and not depend on, on programming. I agree completely, yeah. Even the, even the best programs are only effective to the extent that there's 
real evangelization happening from persons in the midst of them, right? It's, it's disciples who make disciples, not a program. I mean, I, I work in parish ministry still, um, in addition to my work with La Alto, and I know the temptation to kind of want, when you have a big event, you know, or, or this, this, you know, wide purview in terms of what you're being called to in parish ministry, you want something that's easy to implement, some silver bullet that you can just kind of put in place. And this is going to take care of all the work for me because it's hard to do both the administrative work of coordinating all of this. I work in a large suburban parish, like 3,500 families. And, you know, we confirmed 150 kids this year. And that was a small confirmation year for us. So the temptation is always, how do we even handle um, this kind of, this kind of numbers? Uh, well, a program is going to kind of easily put everything in a box. But then we watch people slip through the cracks and kind of wonder why. And I think um, that, that, that is uh, the temptation, but that's also showing why our mentality itself is backwards. Like, because we're putting the entire onus of doing the work of evangelization, making disciples on one church staff member who couldn't possibly build a relationship uh, and in- initiate everyone uh, to Christ. I think the great model kind of from the, the Bible is Andrew, mm-hmm. who goes and gets Peter and tells him, we found the Messiah, you know, come and see. And there's just no way a DRE can do that for 150 eighth graders on their own. And so they need to uh, be training leaders and building up disciples. Well, really the whole parish needs to be committed to this vision. Um, and so that, that that ministry can actually take place because I do think it's a compounding thing. Once you start building that mentality into adult parishioners and focus there, uh, they say they've done studies, you know, what are, what are some of the biggest contributing factors to youth retaining the faith throughout their life? Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, real encounters, experiences of Jesus in prayer. Uh, but then a huge one is seeing other disciples, like looking at the adults in their parish and saying, that person is, is following Christ, like knows the Lord um, and having that, that witness to what that is. And so if you start there, um, kind of start with adults, you know, we want to retain these youth, we talk about the millennial generation, we're already like 80% are not practicing. And then we're worried about this next generation as well. We'll probably have to start actually with the older generations and really converting them all the way. You know, Pope Benedict XVI talking about teaching them the art of living is the new evangelization, right? And I think that's the kicker. What we've missed sometimes is we haven't taught people to live the Christian life artfully in a way that's beautiful. Right. We're talking with Tim Glinkowski, president of La Alto Catholic Institute, and talking, so you bring this up, and this is something that, that I'm very passionate about. We're looking at the problem, I think, incorrectly. We're seeing the people who are not coming to church on Sunday morning anymore, or, or who don't come every week. or And so we still see this as we have to get them in the pews. Whereas I think really the solution is not to create an event that will draw people in to, to, to sit in a pew for an hour every week. Rather, I think our task is for those people who are currently still in the pews to get them to go beyond an hour a week and not so much an hour beyond an hour a week at church uh, because we don't want to create a program just to have them in the building. Our, our purpose, uh, according to St. Paul, is to equip the saints for the works of, of ministry. And so for us, we need to create opportunities for people to connect with Christ. Uh, sacramentally, yes, as we do in the Eucharist, but, but beyond that, uh, in, in contemplation, in prayer, and draw them into a, a lifestyle of discipleship, and then Rather than getting them in the pew, now we're getting them out into the world and letting them be Catholic, not on Sunday morning, but on, on Tuesday morning. And this is where we start to see conversion and change. 
Yeah, I mean, Catechism of the Catholic Church 1131 says uh, that the sacraments bear fruit in those who receive them with the required dispositions. And so we, we just know that before the sacraments, like the sacraments aren't going to work their magic themselves on someone who isn't bringing, you know, the, the principle is ex opere operantis mm-hmm. uh, in liturgical theology, right? Like uh, your subjective disposition is essential to allowing the fruit of uh, the grace that's available in the sacraments actually bear fruit in your life. Uh, and so we need to figure out how to do that groundwork. How can we create dispositions in people? I think this is actually one of the reasons not to jump over to another topic or another idea, but like the cultural situation we find ourselves in, why the, the Benedict option has been such a compelling um, kind of alternative for people or something, a discussion that's happening there where how do we, I think people are just asking this question of maybe where we find one of our greatest opportunities in evangelization uh, because people are starved for community. I live in a suburban community in a suburban culture and uh, we don't know our neighbors, you know, like, this is not uh, the kind of the old, what my dad grew up with on the south side of Chicago, uh, his Polish neighborhood where the entire community uh, revolved around the church is just not the current cultural context anymore, but at least people hungry for something. And so I think that's a great opportunity. You know, if we can provide shallow entryways, you know, I think the shallowest entryway into a dynamic, lifelong, daily communicant Catholic uh, is probably someone's living room, you know, and, and, uh, and some kind of communal event where you see you know, you come and see this, what this could look like, this reality of church, uh, and then you're roped in. Uh, so kind of built into that process instead of just kind of sacramentalized and then um, kind of expected to have understood it all. Well, that's something that we do as a family. Uh, we just know that Sunday afternoon after church, we're going to have for lunch, we're going to do brunch. We're going to do pancakes because it's easy to multiply. And then we have our eyes open uh, in Mass, is there someone new that we don't recognize, or is there someone that we've uh, not really had the opportunity to sit down with? And just about every Sunday, uh, we're, we have someone over for, for brunch, and we and we never know who it is ahead of time, right? It's always, okay, That's amazing. who are we going to find? Who are we going to bring in? Uh, and then that gives us the open doorway. Then if they come back for dinner or something like that, we always try to include them in our family bedtime, which always includes... Uh, uh, the, either praying uh, the, a decade of the rosary or praying uh, the, the Compline for the night, and to let people see a family doing faith together uh, in, in the living room. One, you get great friends that way. Uh, but two, it creates this opportunity uh, for, for discipleship and evangelization. And, and that's probably a remarkable example within your parish, unless your parish is amazing and everyone's doing that, but, but it ought not be, right? Well, like that, that should be ordinary Catholicism is that kind of radical hospitality where you're actively looking for, how do we bring, you know, initiate people into the love of Christ? Cause there's a conviction in you that this is actually life-giving, right? Right. Like that's kind of why you're doing that is because you, you presume within that whole system that like more of Christ in someone's life would improve, you know, right. would, 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 is what they're meant for. And, um, the, and so it's natural then to build community. The only way to do that, though, if you have a parish that isn't doing that, is to begin. We're talking today with Tim Glomkowski, president of La Alto Catholic Institute. You can find out information about them over at laaltocatholic.com, L-A-L-T-O-Catholic.com. We're going to continue this conversation right after the break, talking about creating missionary disciples. Maybe that's intriguing. Maybe that's something that you're not sure how to start. Well, we'll tell you right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on our daily lives. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. And today we're talking with the president of La Alto Catholic Institute, Tim Glemkowski, uh, about creating missionary disciples. In the last seg- segment, we talked about this new document that's out from the Archdiocese of Detroit from Archbishop Vigneron uh, called Unleash the Gospel. You can find that over at unleashthegospel.com because what is a new, uh, trendy, easy-to-remember phrase if you don't put a .com at the end of it? Uh, We're talking with La Alto Catholic Institute president, which, of course, theirs is laaltocatholic.com, speaking of that .com. Tim, thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks so much. So you do on the smaller scale, on the uh, the parish individual relationship scale, what the Archbishop is attempting to do on an archdiocesan scale. Let's talk a little bit about what La Alto is and what you are doing there in Northern Illinois. Yeah, sure. So we, uh, and I say we because um, it's both myself and a few friends of mine actually who um, have been, you know, brothers in the faith of mine since college, actually, who we all live in the same area now in the suburbs of Chicago, um, who kind of started this because we've been just kind of lit on fire by this whole move, really movement in the church, um, you know, kicked off by Pope Francis and his Evangelical Gaudium talking about missionary disciples, but then also, you know, big kind of seminal texts like Sherry Waddell's Forming Intentional Disciples and Divine Renovation by James O'Malley. There just seems to be this huge, you know, the Holy Spirit seems to be blowing uh, in this direction. And Archbishop Vigneron's uh, letter is just kind of the latest capstone. And I think one of like one of the most beautiful articulations of this vision for if we're going to affect the new evangelization, uh, one has to be done at parish level. It has to become the ordinary experience of Catholics in the pew. Uh, and it has to be done in a, in a widespread and an intentional way. So we just started asking the question, well, how do we do that? You know, like, what, what can we do? Uh, a few of us work in parish ministry. Some of us are in the business world, but all of us have a desire to, to build these kind of cultures. And so um, the, our solution to that, the kind of the core of our mission is we're just going to work parish by parish uh, until we hope to change every culture of every parish. Uh, we work in three dioceses, particularly the Diocese of uh, Rockford and Joliet, and then the Archdiocese of Chicago. Uh, until every parish in those three dioceses are, um, you know, have this kind of culture. Uh, The way we like to describe it is what we come in and try to do is a structure itself will never evangelize. Archbishop Vigneron talks about this uh, in his letter, like a program itself or just building in a structure that kind of like points toward missionary discipleship Mm -hmm. will never itself be effective at evangelizing, but a trellis is necessary for a vine to grow. You know, like, so in order for, uh, in order for there to be fruit born within the parish, a structure does have to be created, and then leaders within the parish have to be trained how to use that, that structure, that trellis, effectively um, to do person-to-person engagement and person-to-person evangelization. So what we do is we, our parish partnership, it's like a nine-month, uh, essentially, agreement between us and a parish where uh, we come in and team up, kind of come alongside them, their parish staff, their key lay leaders, their pastor, uh, especially, and we... Um, kind of show them um, and help train them in how to actually start turning toward having that kind of culture. Mm-hmm. And so you meet with the pastor, you meet with these lay leaders over the course of nine months. But for the one who's joining us in conversation today, who's listening to our conversation, and they don't have nine months to give, and they don't live in the area, what are some of these steps that they can take in in themselves to begin creating a culture of encounter and hospitality within their own parish 
uh, to create these opportunities for conversion? So the first question that any um, person generally asks themselves is, you know, am I a disciple of Christ? Am I first in my own life um, rooted in him to the extent that, um, and maybe I'm assuming maybe that a lot of your listeners uh, are this kind of Catholic where um, you're really connected to Christ in a way that um, the Holy Spirit is is running through your life, you know, and where, um, because it's really the Lord at the end of the day that, that bears any fruit uh, within our life. One of the big things that we train parishes to do with this kind of person-to-person engagement is um, to build within themselves. Archbishop Vigneron, again, calls this and unleash the gospel. And when he said this, I was like, you know, hallelujahing uh, in my office reading this document. Uh, he talks about family discipleship groups, which I think is really one of the kind of ways forward. So we do a bunch with parish, but one of the things we help them build is we train 8 to 12 leaders um, to build this kind of group, this kind of intentional community um, where they can grow together as disciples. And that doesn't mean that everyone who joins that group is already a disciple. In fact, it probably is you know, better if some of them are not. Um, because, but if there's someone who has an eye for uh, doing that work, of investing in people personally to grow a disciple, have them in your living room from 6.15 to 8, you know, every second Tuesday or every, every, every other Tuesday, uh, or something, or shoot, even every Tuesday, mm-hmm. um, every Sunday afternoon or something, do some kind of Bible study together, do some kind of formation, pray together, discuss what's going on in your lives, uh, and then, you know, have a, a, a Manhattan after, you know, or like build community, but community that actually bears fruit. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes in our, in our parishes, we do a really good job of like having communal events, you know, we have a pig roast, or, uh, but Christ is not central to it. But people who are committed together to like taking the next step um, in terms of discipleship. And I think focus, the fellowship of Catholic university students has laid out a really nice model for kind of, um, you know, how to, how to grow someone to call it the, um, discipleship roadmap, kind of the steps in discipleship, um, committed to, to growing together in that way. And then within that system, try to identify one person that you can yourself do a one-on-one discipleship relationship with, which is grabbed right from kind of the rabbinic tradition, right from the way Jesus would have done ministry, uh, and then um, begin to mentor that person to themselves now go and do what you've done. Now, having seen what you've done, go and do it themselves. Because this is, this is how Jesus did ministry, right? Like, he had three years, a short period of time. And so instead of, he certainly talked to crowds and did miracles and stuff, but the majority of his time is spent forming 12 men to, to go and do likewise, to do what he did. Um, and so that's, that's kind of one of the things I would say as far as your listeners who are just wanting to activate this kind of discipleship on their own. Uh, to start going and doing that, because that's going to multiply over time if you're raising up leaders. If it's just a community that's becoming insular and not allowing, uh, you know, to like right. the air to breathe through it, kind of, it's not going to bear fruit in that way. But, you know, that, that anyone could do that today. Right. Absolutely. We're talking with Tim Glimkowski, president of La Alto Catholic Institute, about steps that we can take to, to be evangelizers, to create m- moments of conversion for ourselves and for our community to live a full life faithful to the gospel and not just merely going to, to Mass on Sunday morning. So in that, you talked about being disciples of Jesus Christ, that we have to be, uh, you know, we, we have to actually be disciples before we can begin discipling others. And I would say that before I became Catholic in my, uh, my years in ministry, I often looked at discipleship as merely an academic exchange, that I'm going to spend time studying and being a student of Christ. And yet, as we look at the disciples in Scripture, we see that these were the people who 
who ate with Jesus, who who walked with Jesus, who went everywhere with Jesus. And so we need to recall that for us to be disciples, we have to have both both a sense of study and learning uh, from Christ, but we also need this contemplation and this this being in the presence in the midst of Christ uh, and allowing us to see how he interacts with others, uh, to have an eye for the, the outcast and the poor, uh, to, to experience con- uh, contemplative prayer, uh, to experience being going to adoration. And that's one of the things that I noticed on your website, which is Laalto Catholic, L-A-L-T-O Catholic.com, uh, is you have a specific school of prayer in the midst of all of these other uh, planning and, and programmatic aspects. Yeah, so what we try to do with that, we, we really, you know, again, we just really looked at the question and did our own kind of strategic um, you know, prayer, asking the Lord, you know, like, how, how would we go about trying to grow disciples in our area? And one of the things we were really convicted of is, yeah, our school of prayer is a four-part series that parishes can bring kind of into the parish, like where we'll, we'll come to you and, uh, you know, four uh, weeks in a row, you know, when, every Wednesday or whatever, we'll do this um, thing. Because we, really, for me, a life-changing um, moment in my discipleship was when I read the Carmelite mystics. Um, and John Paul II talks about that as well, that um, one of his mentors growing up really exposed him to that way of thinking. And that totally changed my entire understanding of the faith because everything in the faith became contextualized on this concept of uh, becoming like God, you know, deification, that the purpose of a prayer life uh, was not just to come and kind of like ask for a few things, but it was this deep and intense intimacy that was going to be so profound at the level of the soul that literally our, our human, our human nature would be elevated um, by, would be perfected uh, in that encounter. And so I don't think that's something that like a lot of Catholics who have just kind of run an ordinary course of formation growing up have necessarily been exposed to. Um, But really I haven't met a disciple who doesn't have that kind of prayer relationship. Like the people who I know who radiate the most holiness are those who go and, and, and just abide with the Lord in personal prayer uh, in adoration or in their armchair in their office or, wherever, but like substantial commitment to, um, to encountering Jesus every day and to allowing him to, um, you know, the, Carol Hauslander has that image of the reed of God to allow the, the presence of the Lord to be piped, um, you know, kind of through your own um, existence into reality. And so that, that's the hope is that four-part series, we can't be, you know, become exhausted, but we're hoping to instill within people the disciplines of a disciple because um, that is crucial. I think this, um, discipleship is kind of perfectly oppo- you know, contextualized against um, like that moralistic therapeutic deism that people talk about, which is so right. prevalent in our culture where um, religion is just kind of about like doing good in kind of some vague, like nice way. Um, prayer is just about uh, therapy. It's just about asking God for, to like fix the things in my life. And then deism, God created the world. But he's somehow absent from it. You know, he's, he's not really interested in um, conforming my life in a particular way, but he's just kind of, you know, benevolently out there somewhere, kind of like smiling on everything I do and kind of tisking from time to time, you know? So um, really in that radical relationship of prayer is where we find ourselves, you know, in the forge, uh, the divine fire of God's love that turns us into saints. And that is our task to go out and to be saints. We've been talking today with Tim Glinkowski, president of La Alto Catholic Institute, L-A-L-T-O Catholic.com. Go find out more about them, read the blog, and then go out and do likewise. Be a disciple. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and today we've been talking about evangelization. It's a scary word sometimes, but I hope that this conversation has helped put it in a little bit clearer light. We've been talking with Tim Glimkowski. He's the president of La Alto Catholic Institute. You can find out more information about him and maybe even bring him to your area to speak on evangelization. You can find him over at laaltocatholic.com. That's L-A-L-T-O catholic.com. If you missed any part of the show or you want to share it with those that you know and love, well, have no fear. The show is archived. Just as soon as we're done right here, you can go right over to outsidethewalls.com and uh, find it there, archived, along with all the other episodes we've ever done. They're archived chronologically, but then you can also go over to the sidebar, find your favorite guest, and listen to all the episodes, all the times they have been with me here on the show. Now, while you're online, uh, might as well go over to our social media, facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. And uh, there we've got a couple of things for you today. I've linked to the unleashthegospel.com. That's that pastoral letter from the Archdiocese of Detroit. I've also linked to the Renew My Church, which is a very similar initiative that's going on in the Archdiocese of Chicago. And I think you're going to see this a lot more often, uh, where dioceses start to move away from programs and more towards cultivating lifestyle, away from inviting people to some event that we have and more sending people out to live lives that are faithful to the gospel. Uh, to create opportunities for people to become saints. I mean, that's what we're really all about. That's the whole purpose of Christianity. That's the whole reason that Jesus came, uh, is to make us saints. And so this is a welcome development to me. This is something I'm very excited to see as it takes root all across this country and beyond our borders. Of course, some places have never never really lost this way of doing Christianity. Uh, But for some reason, our Western culture has brought us to this place, and now it's our task to find ourselves and find our way back to this missionary disciple way of living. So as always, this is the part in the show where we're going to come and we're going to look at Scripture and a reading from church history that hopefully will help put some of the things we've talked about into context. And so today's gospel comes from the gospel of Mark, and we hear this. One of the scribes came to Jesus and asked him, Which is the first of all the commandments? Jesus replied, The first is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you are right in saying he is one, and there is no other than he. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is worth more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered with understanding, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared ask him any more questions. That reading comes from the Gospel of Mark. I love this because here you have the scribe, the learned person. This this would be your 
your Ivy League educated person coming up to someone from Galilee, right? Jesus. And uh, this would be like, you know, my cousin Vinny, if you've ever seen that show, is standing. You've got these two people who have very different educational backgrounds. And one, the people are surprised that the scribe says that Jesus answered correctly, right? And second, <laughs> they know that Jesus is onto something, but here they've got this really well-educated man, uh, the scribe, and Jesus says, oh yeah, you're pretty close. You're not, you're, you're almost there. You're almost there. And the rest of them are going, gosh, well, if, if the scribe can't do it, I'm not, I certainly can't do it. And so no one dared ask him any more questions. If you've been following along this week in the Gospels, all of the readings from uh, from Masses every day, you'll notice that the Gospels are all of people trying to trap Jesus with questions, and Jesus giving really unexpected answers, uh, answering really well or really tripping someone up on their own question. Uh, and this is one, this is how we often find ourselves as we come to God with our our frustrations or our curiosities or our true desire to know an answer. And we, we come to God and say, God, what, what about this? And the answer that we get is not the one that we expect. Some of the best answers that we could ever get are the ones that we don't expect. And really, this is also evangelistic. I remember with my cousin, who if you've listened for any length of time, you know my cousin is a priest in the Diocese of Shreveport, and he was my catalyst to bring me into the church. He was, I tell people he was my RCIA director over the course of 10 years because I would bring him questions, sometimes out of genuine curiosity and sometimes to trip him up. And the answer that he had, I'm sure that it was through prayer and listening to the Holy Spirit and being uh, patient and not reactionary. The answers that he gave were always not what I expected. They they laid things out very quickly. They either trapped me in my words so that I could no longer really hold the position I had, or they answered so thoroughly that I no longer had objection with what I thought I objected to. And so this is true evangelism. If we would be open to the Holy Spirit and and really allow Jesus into the midst of these questions to answer in these unexpected ways— we would see just miraculous things for the kingdom. These are, these are the opportunities for conversion that we've talked about throughout this episode. For today's reading from church history, we're not going to go back all that far. We're going to go to 1975 to Pope Paul VI, uh, Apostolic Exhortation, Evangelii Nuntiandi. And, and we read this out of section 15. The church is born of the evangelizing activity of Jesus and the Twelve. She is the normal, desired, most immediate, and most visible fruit of this activity. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Now they accepted what he said and were baptized. That very day about 3,000 were added to their number. Day by day the Lord added to their community those destined to be saved. Having been born consequently out of being sent, the church in her turn is sent by Jesus. The church remains in the world when the Lord of glory returns to the Father. She remains as a sign, simultaneously obscure and luminous, of a new presence of Jesus, of his departure, and of his permanent presence. She prolongs and continues him. And it is above all his mission and his condition of being an evangelizer that she is called upon to continue. 
For the Christian community is never closed in upon itself. The intimate life of this community, the life of listening to the Word and the Apostles' teaching, charity lived in a fraternal way, the sharing of bread, this intimate life only acquires its full meaning when it becomes a witness, when it evokes admiration and conversion, and when it becomes the preaching and proclamation of the good news. Thus, it is the whole church that receives the mission to evangelize, and the work of each individual member is important for the whole. The church is an evangelizer, but she begins by being evangelized herself. She is the community of believers, the community of hope lived and communicated, the community of brotherly love, and she needs to listen unceasingly to what she must believe, to her reasons for hoping, to the new commandment of love. She is the people of God immersed in the world and often tempted by idols, and she always needs to hear the proclamation of the mighty works of God, which converted her to the Lord. She always needs to be called together afresh by him and reunited. In brief, this means that she has a constant need of being evangelized if she wishes to retain freshness, vigor, and strength in order to proclaim the gospel. The Second Vatican Council recalled in the 1974 Synod vigorously took up again this theme of the church, which is evangelized by constant conversion and renewal in order to evangelize the world with credibility. The church is the depository of the good news to be proclaimed. The promises of the new alliance in Jesus Christ, the teaching of the Lord and the apostles, the word of life, the sources of grace and of God's loving kindness, the path of salvation. All these things have been entrusted to her. It is the content of the gospel and therefore of evangelization that she perseveres as a precious living heritage, not in order to keep it hidden, but to communicate it. Having been sent and evangelized, the church herself sends out evangelizers. She puts on their lips the saving word. She explains to them the message of which she herself is the depository. She gives them the mandate which she herself has received, and she sends them out to preach, to preach not their own selves or their personal ideas, but a gospel of which neither she nor they are the absolute masters and owners, to dispose of it as they wish, but a gospel of which they are the ministers in order to pass it on with complete fidelity. This reading comes from the 1975 Apostolic Exhortation by Pope Paul VI, Evangelii Nuntiandi. Of course, you can get to that and any of the other documents of the Church uh, in recent years by going to vatican.va or do what I did and just type in Evangelii Nuntiandi into Google and it'll be the first thing up there. Uh, We'll also post this over on our social media. It's worth a read, the whole thing, but that's section 15 of Evangelii Nuntiandi as we talk about our need to be evangelized, to be filled with the Spirit, and to go out and to share the good news. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us on the show. Of course, you can go and get the archives over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Outside the Walls is made possible by generous contributions of our friends of the show. For more information on showtimes, visit OutsideTheWalls.com. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.